You know, all the talk about the virus and the end of the world and plagues, it's got people talking again about the second coming, some important themes we need to focus on. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH. This is Michael Brown. Last year, Professor Craig Keener and I put out a book jointly with Chosen Books called Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. And I noticed over the last, oh, maybe six weeks or something, that there seemed to be a fresh interest in the book, people ordering the book more, talking about the book more. Uh, the reason being, there's just a lot more talk about the end of the world and the second coming and things like that. So I, I want to revisit some of that. And if you hold to a pre-tribulation rapture and feel it's very important to believe that and feel that we are very wrong for not believing it, I'd love to hear your strongest argument for a pre-tribulation rapture. I, I'm not trying to set up a formal debate or something like that. Obviously, this is my show and you're just calling in. But I'd love to hear what you feel is, is a really strong reason that you personally can't believe or don't believe in a post-tribulational rapture, which is the same as the second coming. In other words, two sides of the same coin. 866-34-TRUTH. Before we get into that, though, I, I want to... I want to start with another subject. I've been interacting with different pastors, different churches that are trying to navigate whether or not they should be opening their doors for meetings again. On the one hand, it seemed prudent and wise to not have our normal public meetings for a period of time, for a month or a month and a half or maybe two months for various reasons, trying to flatten the curve of infections and death with this dangerous virus. And uh, there were local authorities that were extreme and that went too far. And I, I feel it's good that different churches and leaders pushed back against them, said, hey, we are going to do everything safely, but you cannot stop us, for example, from having a drive-up service where we, we sit in our cars and, and listen to a broadcast together because we're still seeing each other. That's important to us. Or others who said, hey, we're going to follow safety guidelines carefully but if you've got abortion clinics open and liquor stores open, there's no reason that our church buildings have to be closed. In some cases, there was pushing back. Liberty Council has been in the front lines of pushing back where authorities went too far. We've called out people like Mayor de Blasio in New York City for threatening to permanently close church buildings and synagogues if they permanently if they defied his guidelines. So in certain things, there should have been pushback. But now just in general— uh, churches are saying, okay, we, we are going to start to gather, and we will follow safety guidelines, which means if we normally have, say, 300 people packed into our building and we have two services on Sunday, we're now going to have it where we have more services, but with less people for meeting, or even we'll have to wear a mask, or you, if you use the bathroom, here are the requirements— and we're encouraging you, if you fall into certain categories and there can be potential health risks, or if you've been sick or in contact with anyone with the virus, we're encouraging you to stay home. And they're trying to do this 
then on the other hand, someone said, well, what is this? Come on, are we people of faith or not? We're afraid to hug someone. We're afraid, you know, how far does this go? I understand there can be frustration. And I'm a man of faith. Here, my normal way of thinking, all right, if just, if I was just left to myself without divine wisdom operating in my life, my normal mentality is just dive in and trust God. Now, sometimes you have warnings and, and you think you're trusting God, but you're acting presumptuously, all right? But my normal mentality, if, if it was just me without wisdom from God, but being a man of faith, all right? So part of me being a man of faith, but the part with wisdom not existing. I just said, well, come on, of course. we." I, I would have I wanted to fight things from day one. And I would have just, come on, we gather together. We believe God together. We're people of faith. Come on. What? You can never perfectly avoid disease. Your sinkhole could open up under your building. Everybody could be sucked in. You know, meteor could fall. I mean, anything could happen. How many people die on the way to a church service? Some drunk driver, you know, I coming back from an all-night binge, crashes into the car and the church people are killed. These things happen. You can't avoid death, right? I mean, that would be the faith side of me, but without the wisdom side of me. But what I'm saying is I tend not to be cautious. I, I tend to jump forward, to move forward. If I feel God's in something, I jump forward. But there's also wisdom. And the other side of it is, okay, even if... You are personally willing to risk being infected. It's like, if I die, I die. If I live, I live, whatever. You know, life is not promised. No, no one's going to live to be 500 years old anyway, whatever. And I, I'd rather be around people. I'd rather live a normal life, just like people make food choices. Yeah, fine. I may be more prone to a heart attack with this, but I'm not going to just eat seaweed the rest of my life. And that's what some people think. You know, I'm just, so, hey, we make choices like that all the time, Right. So we want to hug each other. We want to go to service. We want to have a normal meeting, and we just trust God. Okay, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. It's not just you, and it's not just if two of you choose to hug each other. It's just it opens up the risk of you now carrying that to someone else. In other words, if it's your own life, the government can't tell you to stop overeating because the, you know, you're, you're digging your grave with forks and knives, as someone said. The government can't stop you from not drinking too much. They can arrest you for drink, uh, drinking while under the influence, right? Driving while under the influence. They can arrest you for that, but they can't arrest you for sitting home drinking and you end up killing yourself. With drink. I mean, that's you can do that, right? So we can all make choices that are destructive to ourselves, and the, the government can't stop us from making most of those choices. But this is not just about you this is about others. Now, look, to be honest, it feels very odd to go ahead with a meeting, but with everyone sitting six feet apart, you know, maybe families together because they're together anyway, and everyone else six feet apart, and greet one another, but from a distance. Hey, hey, how you doing? Blessed, but good to see you. Yeah, and then fist bump, you know, but don't come within six feet of each other. Obviously, it feels odd to be doing that, all right? But it is a matter of loving your neighbor. It is, uh, this hasn't been tested out yet. But if suddenly everyone thinks, oh, it's fine, we can go back to normal, and then they start getting infected and infecting others, where's the love of God in that? So here's my own take at this point. In my book, When the World Stops, which was written basically, beginning, starting in the beginning of March, but the, the bulk of it written March 18th to March 26th, to give you a time context, 
right? So as I'm speaking now about six, seven weeks ago, and then scheduled to come out mid-April. So the ebook came out April 21st, and the print books were still waiting for. There's a chapter on whether to obey the government. Now, when I wrote it, I said, when the government goes too far, we push back. It's not at that point yet in terms of, by and large, nationally. Now, if the government is still not allowing you to meet together, even with all safety precautions, that's when I believe there can be healthy pushback. That's where you can say, hey, you are going too far, and you work with Liberty Council or Alliance Defending Freedom or other these national Christian organizations to say, what exactly are our rights? We don't want to seem rebellious, but if the government's going too far, then we want to be able to, to push back. Just whatever you do, don't hurt your witness for Jesus in the community. Pray through things that might happen. In other words, how do you know every stranger that walks in your door, whether they've been infected or not? In other words, you need to think through the potential consequences. This is not fear. This is wisdom. And then, and then, having done that, you need to determine if it's important enough for us to begin meeting. Are there things we could do in homes with proper social distancing where it's, it's going to be less uncomfortable, you know, in other words, you can have four people meeting together in a home and all sitting in different parts of a room and you have a great prayer meeting. You can do that. That feels a little less forced than having everybody separated in the building. But keep thinking about how to be the church rather than just go to church. Keep thinking about positive, redemptive things that you can do. Online ministry, people reaching out to one another, making sure that everybody is touched by somebody in the body, that nobody is alone, that nobody's left alone. Use this opportunity to really do that, whether you've got a mega church with more staff to do it, but more people to touch, or a smaller congregation, or a house network of churches. Do what you can to emphasize being the church. Pray more about constructive ways to be reaching your communities and neighborhoods as people are home, and maybe they can Talk to a neighbor with social distancing. They can, they can still do that. Look for ways to share the gospel instead of just rushing back to normal. And then, whatever you do, just have the consequences thought through. There are going to be people that are looking for frivolous lawsuits and things like that, so you may need to bounce things off of others. And if you're absolutely sure that the Lord has given you a word, You've got a track record. You've heard the voice of God lead you clearly for the last 30 years, and you've never missed it once, and God told you to gather together and no masks and everybody sitting next to each other, and God told you that, then that's between you and God. I'm just not so sure that he's saying that right now. Hey, just a little thought for you, all right? I don't question that there are people who have ulterior goals with this virus right now. And, and people who want to see America go in a different direction and they want to use this virus. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt there are people with economic goals, people with political goals, people with nefarious goals to take over things and change it. I don't question it. I believe there are. I don't know what came out of China with intentionality, how much collaboration there was with who to, to, uh, to not spread information and so on. Just put the worst-case scenario on all of it, all right? The reason that I know that this is still serious is not just because of people that I know that died or had friends that died of the virus. It's not just that. It's that with all the money that's being lost, 
all these business people, the sports industry and all of that, if there were simple ways to just get everything back up to normal, they'd be pushing to do it. You know, money talks, all right? So the fact that the the big sports industries and these others, the, the fact that they are still slow to move, and even as they're moving, they're moving with great caution, it indicates to me that there is seriousness to this. It doesn't mean our response has been the best or we couldn't have done things better. Just be wise and be careful. And remember, this is not just about you. It's also about your neighbor. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. Just posting something. Brand new article just posted. Hey, if you haven't read on the stream, I've got a few articles that have gone up in the last, oh, in the last 24 hours. One that went up this morning. It's getting a lot of attention. Speaking to those that... Uh, hate the church, despise the church, feel you know, tax-exempt benefits and all this, no good. To those who hate the church, be careful what you despise. You'll find that to be a real eye-opening read. And one just posted moments ago, and it's probably up on other websites as well, God hates unequal weights and measures. We talk about the hypocrisy in dealing with the sexual allegations that come against different leaders Basically, the way it works out is if it's your guy, you say, ah, oh, the charges aren't true. If it's the guy you don't like, oh, definitely true. And we, we can be hypocrites about this on both sides. The thing there should be is fairness and consistency. And another article also posted over the weekend, digging deeper into race issues, which uh, just raises a basic, a basic question. All right. And I know this can be controversial, but, uh, you know, I don't shy from controversy. You always try to speak the truth in love. All right. So here's the basic thesis of the article. And it's something we'll come back to. When you have the shooting of of, uh, Ahmed uh, Arbery in Georgia, two white men shooting this black jogger going through their neighborhood. Okay, was it race motivated? Why weren't there arrests and all of this? And then someone says, yeah, but, you know, those blacks, those blacks, those black young men, you know, high crime rates. And say, okay, so, so slow down for a second. Yeah, with black Americans, higher crime rates than white Americans, much higher prison population than white Americans, a much lower family income than white Americans, much fewer high-level CEOs in major companies than white Americans. So go on and on with the list. Unless you believe that blacks are somehow genetically inferior to whites, which is an outright sinful, ugly, racist position, unless you believe that, then it would say, well, something's just not right in our system here, that we've never fully recovered from slavery and segregation so that there is an equal playing field. Even if you don't have a racist bone in your body, 
Um, and and I, don't, I don't feel guilty being a white American. It doesn't occur to me. Why would I feel guilty? And, and I love our country and I'm blessed to be an American, but we have a checkered past because we're regular. We're a part of the world, okay? The kingdom of God has not fully arrived yet. So, <clears throat> you know, the, the fact of the matter is that the system's not equal for everybody. And uh, I've heard from enough black Christian friends, law-abiding, God-loving, solid people, who said, Dr. Brown, you're not racist at all, but you, don't, you haven't lived the life we've lived. You haven't had to have the talk with your kids about dealing with police. You haven't been racially profiled. You haven't gotten the looks at work and so on and so forth. And look, there are race baiters out there. There are people pushing their intersectionality arguments and critical race theory and various things. And, and to me, they do more harm than good. And they deepen division and don't bring constructive answers. But bottom line is, there is systemic unfairness, systemic inequality, whether it's intentional or not. In some cases, it is. And there's racism on all sides. Some say that you can only be racist if you're in the majority. I don't believe that. I believe you can be racist if, if you have a, a sinful attitude, a wrong attitude, judge people by the color of their skin or ethnicity. You can be a racist even if you're in the tiny minority. But one way or another, folks have told me, white folks who adopted black babies, and, and they had so white kids and then a black child, they said, you have no idea the difference in, in terms of how they're treated, what we dealt with in schools, and on and on. So they're just things in our overall system that either never got fixed from the past or just remain a, a legacy. Uh, and I'm not talking about making reparations. I'm just talking about Let's recognize the problems and sit down together to be aware of them and then try to think constructively together. How can we make sure it's an equal playing field for everybody in America? To the extent people want an equal playing field, how can we see that happen? So that's, that's in that article. All right. Uh, let me go to the phones, and then we're going to, with this, switch over to the subject of the second coming. And if, you, if it's very important for you to hold to a pre-tribulational rapture, you, you feel that that's very important spiritually, doctrinally, important to you personally. I'd love to hear why you feel that's so important. 866-34-TRUTH. So we start in Florida with Sarah. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thanks for calling. Hi. God bless you, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Great. Um, I do believe in the post-tribulation just based on uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, chapter 12. Revelation, um, Matthew chapter 24, um, that we are going to be going through this 42 months of the Antichrist and uh, having to go through persecution. Um, my question actually is on the seven seals. Um, I feel like we are in the beginning of sorrows and the birth pains because the, you know, the virus is actually worldwide. It's not like the Black Plague and things like that. It's actually affecting the whole world. So my question is, is the beginning of sorrow separate from the seven seals, or do you believe the first four is in the first three years uh, of the seven-year tribulation? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, Sarah, thanks for thinking these issues through. Uh, number one, no, I, I don't see the beginning of sorrows as related to seven seals. Uh, I see those things as, as all within a final tribulational period. I would also say, though, that we have to remember that the book of Revelation is written in, in what's called apocalyptic language. 
Uh, so, you know, unless we literally believe that Satan has seven heads and ten horns and things like that, or, or all of the visions are to be taken literally, which would be contrary to the, to the nature of the literature, then a lot of this is symbolic, and so it's, it's intense. In other words, the, the, the symbols are intense and the reality is intense, but it's not necessarily that everything's going to look like the way it's, it's laid out there, you know, or horses with tails like locusts, and right. you know what I'm saying. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, the, the, just like if you have a dream, sometimes the dream is full of symbolism. So I don't have everything worked out in terms of it, a chart or a clock mm-hmm. as much as larger themes. And as I understand okay. the larger themes and what's spoken of, the, the, shake, the level of shaking seems beyond what has happened. And the, the beginning of sorrows or, or the, the early labor pains is Jesus saying, all this stuff is going to happen, but the end is not yet. And these things, in terms of the, the final outpouring of wrath in Revelation, the final shaking of the world— I see on a very intense level, and, and God working mightily in the midst of it as everything shakes. If you just think for a second, so many more people watching online services, seeking out spiritual answers, wondering about the meaning of life just through this. Can you imagine when everything shakes? Here, Some people will be shaking their fist against God and cursing him, but others will be crying out. And remember in Revelation 7, if this is taken as a picture of the end, that there's a multitude that no one could number that has washed their robes and they've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and they are coming out of the great tribulation. So if that is talking about the final harvest, there's a massive harvest of souls as this is going on. So uh, we'll know that, that we are in clearly the beginning of sorrows when you again think of, of, of birth pains. So Sarah, uh, are you a mother? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, okay. Uh, but I'm sure you've been around women who have given birth, yes? Oh, absolutely. I've got nephews and nieces, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the, de- the deal is that, you know, you first you have Braxton Hicks contractions, you know, false labor. It's like I, something mm-hmm. was happening, but it's not the real thing. And then you know it's the real thing because it stays, and, and, mm-hmm. and the, the um, contractions get closer together and more intense and closer together and more intense until it's time to give birth to the child. So if this is that period, then we're not going to have a long let up. There's going to be something else of a world shaking and something else and something else and economies. And, and then, then we'll know that we're now approaching that, that final end. And I don't think, to be honest, Sarah, that once we're in those periods described in Revelation, that you'll need to call my broadcast to ask if we're in it. That's just my opinion. But thank you for your question. I appreciate it. Yes, no problem. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, tell you what. I want to share a few other things now. When we go to the break, uh, get your Bibles open. And we'll, we'll be starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be going to 2 Thessalonians 2 and then to Luke chapter 21. I just want to say that the book that Craig Keener and I wrote, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulational Rapture, uh, the publisher suggested that title. We agreed to it because they were really keen on it. Uh, we were really happy just with the subtitle, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulational Rapture. We thought with our name recognition between us, 
and the audience we want to reach, that that's the message we wanted to get out. In a non-divisive, non-attacking way, this is a discussion in-house among brothers and sisters. Um, the reason I mention this is that some people were offended by the title. They said, well, I'm pre-trib, but I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. It's not a fear thing. I understand that. I understand that, and I appreciate that. I also understand that many do preach the tribulation is so terrible that, that we must be saved out of it. And I've even heard salvation messages, especially in the early 70s when I was a new believer. I'd hear these messages which were not so much get saved to get right with God, have your sins forgiven, escape future judgment of hell and be with the Lord forever, but rather get saved now so you don't go through the tribulation. That's not a gospel message. That's not the gospel. All right, we'll be right back. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. 866-34-TRUTH. 866-348-7884. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Phone lines are open. All right, so a lot of fresh focus on the return of the Lord Many Christians, the moment they see a world calamity, wonder, could this be a sign of the end? And then the debate comes up about rapture, tribulation, second coming. What does the Bible say? So I was saved in a church that taught pre-trib rapture. And in fact, in many ways, heard about the pre-trib rapture before I heard the full message of the gospel. My two best friends, playing the band with me, getting high together, started going to this Italian Pentecostal church in Queens, New York. And they were hearing a lot about the end of, end of the world and the book of Revelation and things like that. And they'd come back over to my house and you know we'd get high together and they're telling me about what they heard in church. And it's just the way we were living at that time. And then little by little, they got serious about the Lord and really got saved. And then I went to pull them out of the church and God convicted me of sin and saved me by the end of 1971 all to his mercy and, and all through his mercy, all to his glory. But uh, it just, that was like fundamental to me that there's a pre-trib rapture and all the exciting prophecies and all of this. And then over a period of years, I concluded it was not in the Bible. That uh, I'm, I'm not insulting anyone when I say that. I, I'm not putting you down. If you've studied scripture for years and convinced it's there, I, I'm not insulting you. I'm simply saying as, as I, and I don't, I don't mean to, as I studied scripture, as I dug in the word, that that I saw it wasn't there. That I saw there was not, there was a second coming, not a second and a third coming, not a not a second coming for us because we're we're looking forward to His coming. Yes, throughout Scripture, so not a second coming and then a third coming, but it was one event: Jesus returning in the clouds of glory for the whole world to see, uh, the the righteous dead being resurrected, and those of us who are alive remain caught up together to meet Him in the air, and then we descend together with Him as He sets up His kingdom on the earth. That's what I concluded over 40 years ago and have not questioned it or doubted it since, as the scripture seems very clear to me. Some people have said, wait a second, are you saying we're going to go through the tribulation? And my answer is, the church has always gone through tribulation. In fact, I can give you numerous verses in the New Testament that promise us 
tribulation. Numerous verses. You just look up John 16, 33 or, or Acts 14, 20 to start there. And Paul talks in, in Romans 5 how our faith grows through tribulation. Now in Romans 8, that tribulation can't separate us from the love of Christ. We've always gone through tribulation. And believers beheaded and tortured to death and left to rot in an underground prison hole and never been delivered from that. We, we, we've always gone through it. You say, yeah, but the tribulation is different. That's going to be the wrath of God poured out. My answer to that is, well, God's always protected his people from his wrath through various means. He's covered them. He's moved them. He's, he's done, done them through various means. And he says in the end of Isaiah 26 to, to hide away in the inner room until his wrath passes by. And we know the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. But what concerns me is verses that are used and I feel are, are misused, even by good people who love the Lord. Let me give you an example. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, Paul says this, Now, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, meaning died, so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. A believer who dies, Scripture says, they've fallen asleep. It's New Testament terminology in particular. All right, so what's he saying? I don't want you to be uninformed about believers who have already died, so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So others grieve because that's it. It's over. We'll never see them again. And Paul's saying, no, 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 it's different for us. It's different. For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, so with him God will also bring those who have fallen asleep in Yeshua. All right? So, and, and by the way, this idea of God bringing them, we believe that the moment you die, you're in the presence of the Lord. So when the Lord returns, and he's, he's bringing saints. Do you then meet up with a resurrected body? I mean, those are interesting questions how that happens, right? But, but notice this. For this we tell you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the blast of God's shofar, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. Now notice, this is the rapture, but he's coming with his, his, his people. Okay, so again, that's when it says he's coming with his people, yeah, that's, that's how he comes, all right? So with his angels and then with the, the souls of his people, how are we going to explain it? But, but here's, here's what I want to focus on, okay? For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the blast of God's shofar, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left behind, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord there, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I say this happens at the end of whatever tribulation period is here on this earth, the Lord comes visibly. This is a visible public event. The whole world sees it. We're caught up to meet him, and we descend together with him. So, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I can't tell you, friends, how many people have said to me, well, it's not encouraging that we have to go through the tribulation. That's not encouraging. Excuse me. I, I, I used a certain tone of voice there to indicate the way some people have said it to me, but that that's insulting to others. So let's just state it without the voice. Some people, quite a few have said, it's not encouraging to me that we go through the tribulation. How is that encouragement? Well, that's not Paul's subject there. His subject is those who died, you're going to see them again. And when he returns, we're going to be with them together forever. That's the encouragement. It has nothing 
zero to do with escaping tribulation. Zero. It's not the context. Nothing. You say, yeah, but in the next chapter, it says that he hasn't appointed us to wrath. Yeah, but he's, he's not even talking about tribulation wrath there. In the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, in the fifth chapter, he says it. He's talking to believers then. They didn't go through the, the final seven-year tribulation. Nobody in history has done that if there's a final distinct seven-year period of tribulation. But none of us are appointed to wrath. Every generation of Christ is not appointed to wrath. No, we will not suffer God's wrath because we're his people. We'll be with him forever. We won't go to hell. We won't perish. That's the wrath that's being spoken of. Or the wrath when he comes uh, to destroy the wicked at the end of the age. No, we're not subject to that wrath. He describes it in 2 Thessalonians 1 and says Jesus is going to come with flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God. It's a public event. At the end of tribulation period, he comes to judge the wicked. And at that point, it says he's going to give us rest and we're going to be delivered. So Paul's not saying, hey, be encouraged, be comforted. You're not going to go through the tribulation. That's not a subject there. It is a 100% blatant misuse of the Bible to quote that to argue for a pre-trib rapture. It says nothing of the sort. Well, I'm not encouraged. Well, be encouraged by the fact that God says, I'm with you no matter what, and nothing, not even tribulation, can separate you from my love. Be encouraged by that. And be encouraged that we grow by going through these things. All right, now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is very explicit. Remember, he has just said, he has just said in 2 Thessalonians 1 that when Jesus comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God, which everyone agrees happens at the end of the tribulation period, when he does that, that's when we receive rest. Okay, the rapture and the second coming, two sides of the, of the same coin. There is not a second coming and a third coming. There is one second coming. Dig into our book that Craig Keener and I wrote, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. We didn't write it in a highly academic, uh, highly academic scholarly way with 8,000 footnotes and 100,000 references you know, and, and endless references to Hebrew and Greek, but we wrote it based on solid Hebrew and Greek scholarship and then with that presented it so that anyone could understand it. And the book is full of encouragement book is full of faith from beginning to end. So Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians 2, and I'm reading from the Tree of Life version, the TLV. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, concerning the coming of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and our gathering to him. So notice, coming, gathering, same event. His coming, what are we looking for? Not a secret rapture, but his coming, his appearing. We are looking forward to his coming. There's not a second coming and a third coming. There's one second coming. Concerning the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and our gathering together to him, not to get shaken out of your mind or disturbed, either by a spirit or word or a letter as if through us, as though the day of the Lord has come. Somehow there was teaching circulating that gave them the idea that the day of the Lord, the, the eschaton, the final end, had come and they had somehow missed it. Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. That is the correct meaning of apostasia there. It is not a taking out. It is a falling away. That day will not come until, one, the rebellion comes first. There will be some type of worldwide 
spiritual rebellion slash apostasy. Jesus warns about many falling away, the love of many waxing cold because of iniquity abounding. All right? So that's one. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, speaking of the Antichrist, is revealed, the one destined to be destroyed. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in the temple of God proclaiming himself that he is God. So Paul's saying, look, has that Antichrist, that end of the age Antichrist been revealed yet? No, well, then the day hasn't come. If you're a follower of Jesus living at the end of the age, you will live to see the Antichrist. Yes, you will. You will not be taken out first. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what now holds back for him to be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already operating, only there is one who holds back just now until he's taken out of the way. And we're going to keep reading. I got a call about this on Friday's broadcast, and someone asked, who is the restrainer? And I pointed out, uh, as Craig Keener does in Not Afraid of the Antichrist, that there are more than 30 different interpretations from scholars wrestling with those words. And there are many, many, many different interpretations. But the idea that the church must be taken out of the way is really without support for many reasons. So let's just finish what Paul wrote there. He says, then the lawless one will be revealed. Now, Paul just said we're going to be there to see the lawless one revealed. The Lord Yeshua will slay him with the breath of his mouth and wipe him out with the appearance of his coming. What are we waiting for? His coming. And it is with his coming that he destroys the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is connected to the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with every kind of wicked deception towards those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a delusional force to lead them to believe what is false so that they may be judged by those who did not believe the truth but delighted in wickedness. Hey, Scripture's clear on this. We'll be here to see the Antichrist, Jesus, for the story. Hi, I'm John. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. The biggest thing, friends, I want to leave with you is we don't have to fear the future. We don't have to fear whatever could come our way because God is with us, and that's all we need to know. And I've, I've been saying this a lot lately, but there's a dangerous escapism, uh, or escapist mentality that we can hold. And, and in that mentality, we think, okay, things are bad now, but before they get really bad, we'll be taken out of the way. And again, I feel that's dangerous because what if things get worse than this now, and it's not the final tribulation, but they get much worse than this, and we're, we're not taken out. Or what about the, the mother of four, married to her husband for 20 years, who in an agonizing decline over a period of two years dies of cancer? I mean, she and her family weren't taken out before that happened. In other words, there's, there's always suffering in this world. There's the suffering that comes for persecution of the faith that were promised, there's the suffering that comes to a fallen world. Sometimes God miraculously heals and delivers us from that. But other times we go through things like others. The difference is God is with us. But if we have this mentality, well, before it gets really bad, we're out of here. What if that's not the way it unfolds? What, what then? Uh, you know, look, 
it, it's like an athlete training for an event. They train for the full event. You know, a boxer in a championship fight, fighting 12 rounds, they know they may win by a first-round knockout, but they train for 12. They can't think, oh, I'll get rid of this guy halfway through, because if they don't, now they got a whole fight to, to fight, and they're not ready for it. So my trust is in the goodness of the Lord, the grace of the Lord. My trust is in his keeping power. My trust is that he will not allow us to go through something that we cannot bear with his help and grace. But my trust is in his help and grace more than in some aspect of escape. Now, I want to go back to the phones in a moment, but Luke 21, Luke 21, I want to look at what Jesus says there. Uh, He's answering his disciples' questions about the end of the world, destruction of the temple. And he says, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes along with famines and epidemics in various places. There'll be terrors along with great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they'll grab you and persecute you, handing you over to the synagogues and prisons and leading you away to kings and governors on account of my name. This will lead you to be a witness. So instead of Jesus saying, hey, I know this is going to be rough, he says, hey, you're going to be able to share the faith through this. So make up your minds not to prepare ahead of time to defend yourselves For I myself will give you speech and wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you'll be handed over even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They'll put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name, yet not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, you'll gain your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that their desolation is near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must get out. It goes on, verse 23, Woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies. In those days there will be great distress in the land, wrath on this people. They'll fall by the edge of the sword. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars upon the earth. Nations will be confused by the roaring of the sea and its waves. People lose heart and for fear and anticipation of what's overtaking the earth. Um, verse 28, now when these things begin to happen, stand straight and lift up your heads because your salvation is near. Uh, and then he says in verse 34, watch out so your hearts are not weighed down by carousing, strong drink, worries of life. It'll come rushing upon all who live on the face of the earth. But stay alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. And okay, so notice that. Pray that you may have strength to escape all these things about to happen and to stand before the Son of Man. So here's the point. Let's just say, let's not get into a debate about Luke 21 and how much applies to first century, how much applies to the age. Let's just say, for argument's sake, it all applies to the end of the age. Before we're going to escape, whatever it is that we're supposed to escape, it's going to be crazy before then. You're going to be handed over to death. You're going to have to flee. There's going to be tremendous hardship, and and all these things are going to be happening, and then there's going to be a final wrath and he's saying, pray you can escape it. Now, of course, you can escape it by just honoring the Lord and being here, and he protects us, right? You know, you, you, many, how many of us have escaped the virus so far, right? Maybe it went right through your own community or the nursing home where your grandmother was, and she escaped it. She escaped it by being right here. We can escape things by being right here. Remember John 17, 15, Jesus prays for the apostles, and, and by implication for us, but for them, he prays, I don't pray you'll take them out of the world, but that you'll keep them from the evil one. So without taking us out of the world, God can keep us, Revelation 3.10, keep us from, from the evil, keep us from the hour of judgment that's coming on the whole earth, all right? But bottom line is, before that happens, he's saying all these intense things will be happening on the earth and heavy persecution and judgment. That's all going to be happening. You're going to be here for that and pray you can escape. Well, now here's the interesting thing. Let's think of this again. 
If he talks about you're going to go through this, you're going to go through this, you're going to go through this, you're going to go through this. And he says, pray you can escape. I I thought he just said you're going to go through this. Either he means you're going to go through all this until the final, final outpouring of wrath and I'll, I'll shield you or protect you or take you out. Or he means you're going to go here, right? You're going to go through everything. Pray that you can escape, meaning pray for God's grace to go through this and come out whole on the other side. Anyway, just some food for thought. But don't have an escapist mentality. Have an endurance mentality. Have a faith mentality. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Back to the phones. Isaac in South Carolina, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, Sure thing. Real quick, I I, want to know your opinion or if you're familiar with, um, if I'm pronouncing it right, Peterism? Preterism. Uh, Preterism. Preterism, okay. Yeah. It looks like Peterism, sorry. Um, What's your opinion on that, on that being part of the the end times discussion and everything? I'm just just curious on what you think about it. I only recently read about it last week, and so I'm not familiar with it really at all. Uh, Isaac, it was really uh, cast aside for many years and has been making a comeback in recent years. What is called full preterism, which I'll explain in a minute, is heretical. It is unbiblical. It is dangerous. It is wrong. It is completely unknown through church history until recent decades. Full preterism says that every prophecy in the Bible has already come to pass, that we are presently in the new heavens and the new earth, that Jesus has already spiritually come back. There will be no physical second coming. That there will be no future resurrection of the dead uh, because that has already happened spiritually. So full preterism is an extreme doctrine that should be wholeheartedly rejected as erroneous unless you believe that we're currently living in the new heavens and the new earth. Unless you believe that there is no more death or suffering or pain and no one is marrying and giving in marriage, unless you believe that. Uh, then we're not in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, now here's the thing that's, that's remarkable. Uh, go to my website, Isaac, uh, askdrbrown.org, or my YouTube channel, askdrbrown, askdrbrown, and type in either, oh, type in Sullivan. I debated a gentleman named Michael Sullivan on this, and he tried to argue in front of our student body who, who unanimously were shocked and said it was the most ridiculous thing they ever heard in their lives, uh, that we are presently living in the new heavens and new earth. So that's full preterism. Completely reject that. Now, there's something called partial preterism. Preterism just okay. means past, in the past, all right? So partial preterism says that many of the major prophecies have already come to pass. For example, they would say all of Matthew 24, or much of Matthew 24 has already come to pass, that when Jesus talked about coming in the clouds, that was a spiritual coming to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And there will be a physical second coming, but there already was a coming of the Lord. They would say the final chapters of the book of Revelation, the new heavens, new earth, that's still future. But the book of Revelation itself is past, that it, it spoke symbolically of the persecution of the early church under Rome and of the shaking that took place in the ancient world, and that it's not future prophecy. That's something that we can have a discussion about. Now, I, I reject that. In, in other words, I don't believe 
in the preterist reading of, of Matthew 24, when, it's, when, when Jesus spoke of his coming in the clouds, I don't believe that that happened with the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple was momentous, but there are things yet to happen tied in with his coming that have to do with Matthew 24. You say, why is that important? Well, it's important because it means that physical Israel today is part of prophecy. A preterist says, no, all those promises to Israel, they're already past. We say, no, no, there's still future. God has regathered the Jewish people out of the ashes of the Holocaust, reestablished the modern state of Israel. Promises still remain for Israel. That's why I say it's important that we understand that. As for the book of Revelation, I believe it had to have meaning for that first generation of readers, right? That there were things that were immediately relevant for them. But then in a spiritual sense, it has to have meaning for every generation that reads it. You know, reading it a thousand years ago, what did it mean, right? People, you know, in every generation, people think we're at the end of the age, yeah. right? So they, they read it as if it's now. Yeah. Right. So what I say is it definitely had to have meaning for the first generation. We all read it spiritually in every generation, but at the end of the age, it's going to have special meaning as well. So I see certain aspects of preterism that, that are acceptable, that, that get us thinking about how to interpret revelation and prophecy and things like that. Uh, other aspects I categorically disagree with, and full preterism I reject as heresy, as dangerous heresy, denying the second coming, denying the future resurrection of the dead, saying that we're presently in the new heavens and the new earth. It, it makes a mockery of the Bible. All right, so check out the debate with Michael Sullivan. That's on our YouTube channel, ASKDR Brown, or just check for his name on our website, AskDrBrown.org. Hey, keep praying for us that we'll be able to do everything God's called us to do during the season to better equip and serve and help you to be world changers, living unprecedented lives in these unprecedented times. God bless. Change the world.